Welcome to JVL, your place to learn from Japan's venture leaders about the promising startup ecosystem in the land of the rising sun. Hey there, I'm Kento, your host for JVL, and today I'm talking to Eric Turner. Eric is the founder of JapanDev, a leading job board for foreigner-friendly tech jobs in Japan. In this episode, we will explore Eric's journey from starting off in Japan as an English teacher to working full-time on JapanDev with his wife. Based on his experience working in the tech industry, I'm also curious to understand his perspective on the future of Japan's tech industry. Thanks for listening in, and please enjoy my conversation with Eric. Cool, Eric. So thanks a lot for um, joining Japan's Venture Leaders. I'm very excited to talk to you today. This episode has been in the making for a couple of months, but uh, yeah, I'm very happy to talk to you. And obviously, since you're very visible on social media, I've already been able to learn a little bit more about what you do with Japan Dev and obviously also your background. But today I would like to dive more into um, you as a person and also Japan Dev and specifically the topic you propose, which is to talk more about the potential future of Japan's tech industry. Um, but yeah, thanks all for joining and uh, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to get into it. Cool. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, I would just like to start towards the beginning of your journey and specifically, maybe not like when you were born, but more like when you came to Japan. Um, so the first question that I would like to hear your answer on would be, um, what's the story behind how you came to Japan and what made you stay? Sure. Well, I was born in the U.S. Uh, originally, but I moved to Japan after graduating from college. So I was about 23 at the time. And the way that I got to Japan was I became an English teacher. Uh, so I worked as an ALT, actually. Applied from the U.S., um, you know, got a placement uh, with a company called Interac. And that was how I got my visa and everything. So I just did that uh, for my first year. And actually, I was living not in Tokyo, where I am now, but in this little town in Toyama Prefecture. Um, so that was my intro to Japan. Um, and then after that one year um, stint working as an English teacher, I decided, you know, I wanted to move to Tokyo. So I came here and, you know, I basically just searched for a job. And at the time, you know, this was back in 2013, 2014. Um, so there weren't a huge number of, you know, international kind of startups hiring people like me. So it was a little bit of a struggle to find a, you know, a company that would hire me, but eventually I was able to find a small Japanese startup, um, that, you know, took me on as a engineer basically. Um, and I was doing backend development in Ruby and that was really cool because I got to kind of speak Japanese, um, while I was also getting experience as a programmer. So to me, that was the best of both worlds. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I feel lucky that I was able to find someone to hire me. Nice. And was that something you imagined before you came to Japan? The fact that at some point you want to continue your career path as a software engineer, or was there also a scenario where you continue being an English teacher? It's a good question. Um, originally, I was kind of thinking as, I mean, of the whole English teaching thing as just a one year thing kind of as a break um, because I had studied computer engineering back in school. Um, but when I graduated, you know, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And, you know, faced with the future of just getting a job in the US and having that kind of be the rest of my life, it was a little scary. And I was like, you know, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to, maybe I'll just take this year off um, and, you know, teach English in Japan. And the original plan was just to go back to the US and then find a job after that. But, at, you know, after living here, yeah, exactly. But after living here for a bit, you know, I still kind of uh, wanted to work on my Japanese a bit more. And like I said, I wanted to try and get that uh, ability to kind of kill uh, two birds with one stone where I'd be working, getting the engineering experience while also learning the language and, you know, experience the, to uh, the Tokyo culture a bit more too. So that is why I decided to uh, just come to Tokyo and actually start working here instead. And then obviously that, kind of uh, snowballed from there. <laughs> and uh, now it's been almost 10 years uh, since I first came here. But the original plan really was, you know, just, okay, I did it for a year. Next year, I'll do this. You know, then we'll see. It was really just taking it year by year. Um, it wasn't like, okay, I'm just going to live in Japan now for the rest of my life or anything like that. Uh, it was really just kind of a, yeah, an iterative thing. 
Okay, interesting. And since since you just mentioned that you spent some time living in the Japan uh, Japanese countryside, um, one thing I was wondering: since now you're living the life of a digital nomad, is there some you know way in the future that you and your wife choose to move to the countryside instead of staying in Tokyo? Because most people come to Tokyo out of job reasons because they need to be physically there. Um, but how is it for you? Yeah, that's a pretty good question. Um, I've definitely thought a lot about that. As now that I'm working on my own business, I don't really need to be in Tokyo technically. Um, so it's something I think about um, right now. Um, it is still kind of where the community is centered. I would say, like the English-speaking developer community in Japan. Um, obviously, there's like some other smaller communities in Fukuoka and Osaka, places like that. But I do feel like Tokyo is still kind of the center. So it's nice to be there um, when it comes to like being able to attend events and, you know, meet with other entrepreneurs, things like that. So there's definitely still a lot of, you know, pros to being here, but it is also a lot more expensive than living somewhere in, in the Inaka. So yeah, I mean, there's pros and cons. Yeah. Um, all right. Makes sense. And then um, obviously you're now working full-time on Japan Dev. Would you mind taking us um, on the journey of how Japan Dev started out as a side project and then eventually became your full-time thing, not just for you, but um, also for your wife? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the original idea behind it was basically just that I wanted to build the job board that I wish existed when I first came to Japan and was searching for my first job as an engineer. Because like I said, it was kind of tough, um, you know, back in like 2014, trying to find a company that would hire me and a company that you know, offered the kind of environment that I was looking for. Um, I, I really wanted a place that was kind of international. Obviously, I wanted to avoid some of the negative aspects of the Japanese work culture, which some people may have heard some horror stories about. Um, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, so that was really the goal is to find those types of companies. And it was surprisingly hard because companies don't just come out and say, like, oh, we're a good company or we're a bad company, right? They all claim they're, they're great. And they all say, oh, we have the Silicon Valley environment. So, you know, international, usually it's not true. <laughs> so the idea was, you know, how can we actually, you know, find a, a list of the ones that are actually good uh, and then kind of share that with people. Um, originally, I just built this kind of list um, from my own searches. Each time I'd switch jobs, you know, I learned a little bit more about what companies were out there. And then I started to kind of share that list. And the initial version of Japan Dev itself was basically just a list of companies, actually. It wasn't a job board. Uh, the idea was uh, really just have kind of like a high signal, low noise way for people like me to just find what the options are, right, for companies. And, you know, it eventually morphed into a, a job board once I realized that, you know, the company list kind of like idea wasn't uh, going to be monetizable, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, You know, I had like reviews and things like that, but there are a lot of problems with that, that from like a business perspective. So I kind of pivoted to being a job board um, and actually, you know, posting jobs from these companies. And, you know, but it continues to be this curated English friendly uh, site for really people like myself, or at least that's who I'm kind of imagining when, I, when I'm building it. Uh, of course, you know, not just foreigners, you know, if you're a Japanese person who wants to work in that more international kind of modern tech environment, then it's for you as well. But yeah, that's the basic idea. Um, and yeah, it started as a side project back when I was working at a company called Mercari. And, you know, after about a year and a half or so of building it while working full time as an engineer and then an engineering manager, I decided that it was time to, um, you know, go full time on it. And I quit my job, which was obviously very scary. <laughs> you know, I it already had some revenue and everything at that point. So it wasn't you know, too risky, I don't think. Um, but, you know, you never know what's going to happen with these things. So I finally uh, decided to, to make the, yeah, make the jump. And uh, I've been doing it full time now for about a year and a half. And so, yeah, that's where I'm at now. One thing that I noticed is that you had a phase initially, like before even, I mean, maybe considering it as a, as a side project, but like, I think in 2017 or so, you had like a short phase when you already initiated the side project, but then you kind of, I felt like left it on the side. And then 2019, you found some um, more motivation to like start it back up as a side project. 
Um, can you tell me more about like this phase of like 2017 to 2019 when yeah um, there was like not so much progress um, happening on the Japan Dev side? Yeah, definitely. It went through a few iterations, <laughs> I would say. You know, I had the initial idea just when I was searching for jobs myself and thinking, you know, there are actually some great companies out here, um, but it's tough to find them. You know, sometimes you have to search in Japanese to really find good information or, you know, um, people don't really know where to go to just find them. So I kind of had this Trello board basically where I was keeping track of it really just for myself. And I realized like, you know, there's actually a lot of value just in this list literally. And maybe I should publish that at some point. So I created a mock-up back in like 2017, I believe, um, of basically what I wanted to build. Um, technically it's, it was live online. I, I didn't really go through the steps of promoting it or launching it though. Um, so I did the typical kind of software developer thing that most of us tend to do, which is we just default to building, right? <laughs> just writing some code, you know, instead of actually doing the marketing and promoting and launching all that, you know, other stuff. And, uh, of course, no one really looked at it, didn't really gain much traction. So kind of, uh, lost, uh, lost interest after a while and kind of put it back on the, the back burner and, uh, came back to it, like you said, back in, a, in about 2019 or so. Was there something that happened in your environment that made you win your motivation back or what happened? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, at the time I was working as an engineering manager, I guess, at uh, Mercari. I started, I, I joined as a software developer and then became a manager after about a year or so. And um, I don't know, it might've been partially just me thinking about my career path from that point on. And, you know, looking at the people ahead of me, you know, like I was a manager and it was like, you know, I guess if I stay on this path, then the next step up would probably be like as a director. And I guess I asked myself, is that something I want to do? And realize like, maybe not. <laughs> I like, I, I couldn't really see myself as like, uh, you know, like a director of engineering or like a CTO of like a big team. Um, I guess that just didn't really appeal to me that much to be a hundred percent honest with you. Um, so then the question becomes, okay, what should I do instead then? Like, what are the other options? And it was like, well, I could go back to being a software developer, try to go deeper on the tech side of things. Or maybe I could try out this, uh, this project that I was thinking about for real and actually build it and maybe get some actual customers. And, you know, because it was always in the back of my mind. You know, I, I always kind of felt like it was a really, like it was a good idea. It was the one I kind of kept coming back to, right? When I would have my, my list of like business ideas and most of them weren't very good, <laughs> but this is the one I kept coming back to, right? And I knew that it was kind of right at the, the center of the things that I was passionate about too, like, you know, Japan, the tech industry here, you know, just tech careers and everything. For whatever reason, I was just really into that. So, you know, I was like, you know, let me try this, try this again, see if we can build it for real this time. <laughs> and so I started in 2019 or so. Um, still made a lot of mistakes, of course. Like I said, I kind of built the, uh, the company discovery platform instead of the job board, which I think was where the real value was. But I figured that out, kind of pivoted um, and got to the point where it was earning some decent revenue while also working. Um, doing both was tough, <laughs> of course, <laughs> but I wanted to make sure that it was, you know, yeah, like really at least putting off like some decent revenue and everything before I quit. Mm -hmm. And was this idea of taking the entrepreneurial route something that came solely like through your intrinsic motivation? Like you in your head were like, okay, I, I'm a builder, but I would like to build something independently from the company I'm working at. So you take the founding route. Or did you have like some inspirational founders you looked up to in your community or elsewhere that you thought you look up to? And that's how like, you know, entrepreneurship became something that you thought you could also do. Or like, what was kind of the thought process of founding something? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure where it originally came from, but I guess I've always kind of been a tinkerer, you know, I've always kind of built side projects and... I guess been interested in the idea of entrepreneurship mainly because it's, you know, a way to uh, get, basically gain freedom, right? Where you can kind of do what you want, at least in theory. <laughs> in practice, that's not always the case, of course. Um, but being able to kind of design my own life, potentially become location independent, 
things like that, obviously work remotely because this was before COVID. Um, so, you know, remote work wasn't a given by any means at that point. Um, so I was thinking a lot about kind of that lifestyle design and how entrepreneurship would enable that. So that was definitely part of it. And I just always enjoyed building projects. You know, I built tons of other ones. None of them really saw the light of day. It was just like it was more like coding projects to sharpen my skills as an engineer more so than something I would actually go out and sell. Um, but I was always, you know, tinkering on stuff. So I think I just always had that idea in the back of my mind, never really acted on it. I didn't really think of myself as an entrepreneur until recently. Um, now I'm kind of all in on that. I'm, you know, I've basically made the decision to stop focusing on like trying to further my tech skills and really just focusing on business and marketing and things like that. Um, because yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. Is it mostly you and your wife working on it or do you have like some other part-time people helping you with the operations currently? Um, it's primarily just me and my wife. Uh, we're the only, you know, employees. Then we do have a virtual assistant who we brought on recently who helps out with some of the, uh, you know, kind of day-to-day -day tasks as well. So that's a relatively recent thing, but we don't have any other like full-time employees or anything. Yeah. And one thing I was wondering out of all the kind of business functions as well as software engineering that I'm, that I think you're managing, how do you try to prioritize your time like across all these departments that you're uh, working on? Right. That is definitely one of the hardest parts <laughs> I would say of being an entrepreneur because there are so many different areas that you could focus on and any one of them you could choose to go really deep in right and optimize uh pretty much infinitely right like if i decided to just go really hard on like building the product i could do that all day every day and ignore marketing ignore you know distribution promotion all these things but that would be a mistake right so it's really a question of just how do you uh juggle them and know what is the one most important thing at any time, right? And that changes day to day as well. Like one day it might be, okay, I need to write this blog post or whatever. That could be the number one highest priority thing in a day. The next day it could be fixing a bug or adding a new feature because, you know, it, so things just hit this like critical mass where you, you know, like, okay, this needs to get done. And just being able to kind of prioritize that is really hard. One of the hardest things I would say, and something I'm still kind of learning to do. It's especially tough for me because I'm a developer, so I tend to default toward like the programming side of things and just building stuff. So I have to consciously not allow myself to do that and make sure that I am taking just as much time, if not more time on like marketing and writing content for the blog, things like that. Um, because otherwise I would go a little bit too, too far on the tech side, I think. So that's something I think about a lot too. Okay, nice. And yeah, I've been following you on Twitter recently a little bit more and it uh, seems like the revenue side seems to be like uh, picking up a lot um, for your business. And one thing I was wondering there is how do you think about the growth potential? I read a little bit about like where you're trying to take the product that you try to serve the client, uh, the business client needs a little bit more through adding new features. But um, what do you think about like the how far can your business gr uh, grow or go in the future? Yeah, well... The other question I think is, you know, how, well, it, it's, it's a trade-off, right? With how much time I'm spending and how much stress I have about the business <laughs> versus the amount of, you know, revenue that we're bringing in. So that is kind of how I look at it, to be honest, is like, how much um, revenue can I buy with my time? And what kind of, again, lifestyle ultimately do I want? So that is why I have not done the usual like VC backed startup, you know, uh, kind of playbook where I'm getting money and trying to go big and get this hundred X return potentially for investors and, you know, have the entire country of Japan be my user base. I'm totally okay. Not having that because yeah, I don't think it's for me to be honest. Like I, I don't see myself as like a public, uh, company CEO. I don't really want to do that role. I like to build stuff and uh, have basically freedom, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's, I, I would say I'm prioritizing that more and not going as hard on the, the growth side of things. But of course, given that, given, I mean, given those constraints, then the question is how much can we grow without having to sacrifice that? And so I am working a lot on things like 
like I said, I hired a VA, so uh, delegating more so that we can move a little bit faster without requiring more effort from my side or, you know, whether it's getting contractors to help out with writing blog posts to increase traffic, which then increases applicants and ultimately revenue, right? Um, and just think about that funnel and how we can kind of get more people in without, you know, taking on too much more work ourselves, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, and of course, just improving our systems in general, automating more stuff um, to just make it so that we can, we can grow a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be a huge, you know, it face, like it's not gonna be the next Facebook, right? <laughs> and I've totally accepted that. So I think it's more just, uh, you know, growing little by little um, without having to make those sacrifices. Mm, yeah. But I mean, you've already like come pretty far, like considering that, um, you know, it's uh, at this point you and your wife working on it. And given that uh, you have very limited prior like founding business or entrepreneurial business before. So I guess that's already like pretty respectable how far you have been able to come so far. I guess one thing that I wanted to address uh, now would be uh, like, since I saw that you were also working on Rocketships.io, what was the thought process behind like trying out this new thing while also working on Japan Dev currently? Right. Well, as you know, Japan Dev started out as a side project. I was working as a developer and I wanted to build something of my own on the side. And now that side project is my main project. So that's what I wake up every morning and work on. And it's my day job, essentially. <laughs> so I've kind of been wanting a new side project, like a weekend project that I just work on when I kind of have time, um, for really for fun, ultimately. And this idea for Rocketships.io has been in the kind of the back of my mind for a while. and. It's another curated job board, which of course is something that I'm familiar with having built Japan Dev. So I kind of know how that business works now. And it's a little bit more international. Uh, in fact, it would probably be more US focused starting out at least. So that is one thing that I like about it because you know I think of myself as like kind of like an indie hacker, um, but it's a little bit tough sometimes to um, kind of break into that community when you are building a Japan focused prod, uh, product. So that is one thing that I'm kind of thinking about is how, how do I um, build something that's a little bit more globally relevant <laughs> rather than just focused on Japan, you know, because a lot of people, if you're based overseas, you know, they see that some project is only for the Japan market and they, they kind of lose interest, right? To, to be frank. Um, so I always kind of wanted another, another project like that. And yeah, I mean, the basic idea behind it is that uh, there are kind of two types of tech companies. Uh, usually there are early stage startups, which have this, you know, this idea of, uh, you know, massive payday, right? Where you start the company, you grow it, you change the world, you get rich, right? And the only problem with that is that the chances of that actually happening are pretty low, right? Most startups fail. Um, so then the other option would be to, you know, forget about that, you know, the whole hundred Xing, uh, you know, building the next, whatever <laughs> Google, um, idea, and then just join an existing like major company. Um, and that of course has a lot less risk, you know, it's going to be a lot nicer of an environment. You're going to kind of probably not have a lot of, uh, overtime. You'll have the best perks. It'll be a yeah nice, just great work-life balance, all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't have that kind of high reward. And the idea behind Rocketships.io is there is a period of time when a company switches from being a, an early stage startup to being a big company and it's in the middle. And at that point, if you were to join, then you are able to kind of get the best of both worlds, both like the, you know, the high possible reward of a startup and not having to make the sacrifices, um, where like if you're working at a big company, right, you get all the niceties with the nice office and all the great perks and the free food and all that stuff. And you can kind of get both and basically take like a more efficient, um, like optimal uh, approach to searching for jobs and only look at those companies. Um, so yeah, the, the idea was to create a job board where all the jobs are for those rocket ship companies. And the, those are basically the ones that have the highest chances of uh, creating a great, um, you know, a great uh, outcome for you without having to do all the the, uh, the negative connotations right of, of a startup so that's the idea 
And so I'm assuming that you try to like take the best practices in terms of like which features you have and kind of the, um, yeah, um, like the user functionality that you have at Japan Dev and kind of apply it to rocket ships, but obviously change the kind of offering of companies that post their jobs there. Or like, are there any bigger like differences between the nature of the products? It's basically the same model that I did with Japan Dev, because the idea was curate the jobs that uh, are most likely to be a good fit for you know English speaking kind of internationally focused people. And with this time, it's curate the jobs that are most likely to give a good outcome without. Um, the negatives, right? <laughs> so in that sense, I'm just taking the set of all companies and jobs that exist and just curating them, given some criteria. And so, yeah, I can definitely take a lot of the learnings that I got from running Japan Dev for the last three years and apply that pretty much immediately. So I think that will speed up my ability to, uh, I mean, like I said, it's still just this weekend project for the moment, but I'm interested to see what that looks like now that I have failed and learned all this stuff and figured out kind of how to make this business model work if I were to then try it again from scratch. Um, so yeah, I'm also trying to build it a lot more in public as well. So I'm on Twitter, you know, trying to share all this stuff, kind of what I'm thinking about what as I'm uh, building it. So that's another thing I kind of wanted to try out. It's not a big thing in Japan. So that's a little bit scary as I'm sharing like revenue numbers and things like that sometimes. But I think it is uh, really powerful. Um, and it, yeah, especially uh, with this new new job board because I'm really into that. I believe in it strongly, so I'm trying to be a lot more transparent and, um, you know, see how that goes, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, this building in public is super interesting, like, especially for people like me who are, like, always curious about, I don't know, what is the day-to-day -day of being a founder, especially in Japan, and providing a little bit more transparency, I guess, also maybe for other people is like a great inspiration for them to go out and start their own thing in the future. So from that perspective, I think it's definitely a cool thing to do. And um, since you're like also a first time founder in Japan, one thing that uh, I would like to learn more from you about is just your experience being a founder in the Japanese startup ecosystem. Um, like aside from, you know, the nature of the business you're working in, but like in terms of how you got your business started and, you know, what was the experience of setting up your Japan Dev business uh, from a very like operational perspective? Yeah, I think I'm a little bit unique in that, like I said, I've been here since I graduated from school. So, I mean, Japan is the only place that I've ever actually lived as an adult and worked. So it's hard for me to contrast it, you know, with like the US or other places um, because I never actually really built companies there. But there were definitely some, uh, you know, struggles that I had as a foreign founder. Um, like, you know, when we were opening, like right now we have a company, Kabushiki Gaisha. Um, before that, it was a sole proprietorship. Um, so that was pretty, like the sole proprietorship was quite straightforward. It's actually really easy. And I recommend everyone do that um, because it's basically one form. You just fill out, you know, taxes and everything are very straightforward. It's basically just like uh, taxes it's as though it were your own income. Um, but then when you are ready to then start a company, then there's some potential stumbling blocks. Um, one of them was uh, getting a business bank account. Um, so that is a little bit of a struggle. I think we applied to like seven or eight different banks before we finally found one who would give us uh, the account. Uh, and that was, in, that was in my name though. Eventually we were able to get it. And I think it helped that I had permanent residency. It would have probably been even tougher if that had not been the case. Um, But, you know, eventually we were able to get that, um, you know, if you don't speak Japanese, a lot of that stuff's going to be really hard just um, because there are certain things that uh, you're committing to when you create a company. Basically, you need an accountant that you're going to be paying monthly um, who's going to take care of some of the accounting stuff, but you still need to gather all the information and everything for them and be talking to them. Um, so that can be a pretty major expense too, especially if you are not a Japanese speaker. Um, and then, yeah, the, the business bank account is tough. Um, I don't know. I am not, I mean, I, I, like I said, I do consider myself an indie hacker and I am trying to do this as simply as possible. So yeah, we have a company set up. Um, we have a recruiting license as well. That was a whole other, uh, you know, thing that we had to go through to get that, um, <laughs> very Japanese process, but we were able to get that. Um, so, yep. Yeah, you know, 
there's been some minor hiccups and whatnot, but overall it's been pretty smooth to be honest. And uh, I think that overall the barriers are actually not that high. Um, you know, you, you want to have a plan for things like the bank account and, you know, you, you need to know how to deal with the account and all that stuff. There is like a small fee, I think, uh, when you set up a Kabushiki Gaisha, um, you know, a, a Japanese KK. So it's not uh, a huge hurdle, I don't think, for most people. But um, yeah, uh, overall, I, we didn't have too many issues, to be honest. And if you had to give your past self any advice in like in the process of setting up Japan Dev, like anything you would share with your um, younger version of Eric? <laughs> I think overall, um, I did relatively well, to be honest. But um, maybe one thing would be to consider more of the international options as well. Um, I really just was looking within Japan. So I... Like I said, started with the, like the Kojin Jigyo or the, um, whatever it's called, uh, sole, sole, uh, sole proprietorship. And then from there did go on and create a Japanese corporation. Um, so I didn't really look at the possibility of opening a company in like the US or Singapore, you know, somewhere else. Um, I, I know that some people do that. Uh, and I don't, to be honest, like I felt like, in order to look legit to my clients, it would help to have like the KK uh, and be based like fully in Japan. So that's, I think that's the main reason I didn't really look into it, but there might be some advantages potentially to doing that. Um, where if you do want to be a little bit more international, because right now I'm super tied to Japan um, as a result of that, which is fine. And it, it might, like I said, it might be one of the reasons that I was able to, you know, get the clients that I did and kind of look respectable here. So maybe that was fine, um, but I would have probably at least looked at those options a little bit more and kind of made a little bit more of an intentional decision about that. Yeah, sounds good. Um, and how frequently do you interact with like other founders or the entrepreneurship uh, community at large in Tokyo? Is there like a lot of offerings that you can make use of or yeah, how do you get involved? Hmm. I feel like a lot of the um, those offerings are... <laughs> maybe a little bit more focused on like the VC kind of crowd. Um, there are, you know, certain offices and visas and whatnot really for those people who are looking to like kind of do the, the VC funded route here. And that's great. Um, there's certain, yeah, lots of programs and stuff, more and more of those coming out, which is great. Um, not as much for like the kind of indie maker <laughs> type people like me <laughs> who are trying to do it all self-funded. Um, but I do try to attend meetups, You know, uh, you had Shane on the, the podcast. I think he is one person who's doing lots of meetups. So I can usually be found at, you know, the Tokyo Tech meetup or the Hacker News meetup. Um, I'm usually around at places like that. Again, just networking with people. Um, and, you know, I do some one-on-one, -on -one, like personal um, kind of, you know, outreach and stuff to people in the community to just kind of network more, um, that kind of thing. So, yeah, but, I wouldn't say, I'm not really making use of any of like the sort of government um, programs and stuff that they have for startups. Um, but I do think that, you know, like I said, there's more and more of that coming out. So if you do want to go more of like the startup route, then that could definitely be interesting to some people. Do you feel like there's anything missing that you would uh, be looking for in Japan's startup ecosystem? Um, yeah, like in general? Hmm. I feel like The main thing is probably just a cultural um, appetite for risk, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, right now, in Japanese society, I think this is changing, but historically, the kind of like top tier was to work at like a big, old, well-known uh, well Japanese company. And then starting your own startup or working at a smaller startup, especially venture-backed ones, was seen as kind of risky And, you know, not like the most impressive thing, I think, by societal standards, especially because there's this idea of uh, like kind of risk aversion. And then also, if you do fail in your career, then, you know, that's seen as like a very negative thing, unfortunately, here. In America, that's not really the case. You know, people fail all the time and then people want to fund their next thing because it's like, okay, great. Now you got one, uh, you know, like you, you got one try uh, under your belt. You kind of know what not to do the next time. Here, it's not always like that. 
I think it's like you get one chance and if you fail, then that's like you're, you're, you're out kind of thing. And like I said, that is definitely changing. But I think one, uh, you know, one thing that if I could change anything, I guess, about the startup ecosystem, it would be just create this, um, this appetite for risk and willingness to, um, you know, go out and just start something. And then also when, even if it doesn't work out, you kind of respect the attempt and still, uh, you know, still give people another chance. Um, so that is one thing I think is a little bit missing. Um, and I think if it just had that, like Japan would be in a really good spot though. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this like risk aversion, um, in general is kind of something that is like deeply rooted, I feel like, and, um, yeah, in the minds of people who are born and raised here. Um, so that's definitely something that, uh, I mean, for a more thriving entrepreneurship community, that would definitely be something that could be super helpful. And yeah, for the for the last part, obviously you're working at the heart of Japan's tech industry with both like having been a software engineer and manager at one of the big Japanese tech companies, as well as now with your job at Japan Dev, uh, being at the interface of like job seekers, as well as people who look um, to hire new tech people. So yeah, the first question here would be like, why are you so excited to talk about this topic? And um, why are you in general excited um, about Japan's tech industry? Yeah, well, First of all, I think, sadly, there's a lot of negative uh, sentiment out there about this topic. At least maybe I spend too much time on Twitter and Reddit, places like that, where I shouldn't. <laughs> But I see a lot of just negativity and these kind of old school ideas. Yeah, I do. Like, don't work in Japan. You know, you're going to be having these long hours. You know, people talking about the, the concept of like the black company, which is like this Japanese idea of these you know, places with terrible work environments and things like power harassment. Um, and so I think it's really unfortunate, um, because while those things do exist and they are something you need to be, you know, um, aware of, um, there's also the, the thing that I want people to understand is that there's also this kind of other segment of the IT industry where it's really these modern kind of startups and international companies who do have genuinely like kind of modern international environments uh, where people like me can work and it'll be similar to what you would find in places like Silicon Valley. And you can earn good money as you know, a developer, a designer, product manager, you know, these kinds of positions. And um, you know, there are a lot of companies now, more and more, who are uh, you know, building their own uh, in-house development teams rather than doing the, the, the typical like outsourcing um, system integration type of work. Um, And there's more and more examples popping up of companies that did that and had it work out really well. Like Mercari, where I worked, um, you know, most recently when, when I was working as a developer, like, you know, they, they are an example of that, where they, they invested in building their own in-house in dev team and had a really great exit as a result. And I think people are seeing that and realizing like, wow, maybe there is some, uh, some value in this software side of things, even though it's been really more focused on hardware uh, historically, you know, with obviously the big companies like Sony and Uh, you know, Toshiba and all these places, um, really getting most of their, um, you know, value from the hardware side of things rather than software and the internet. Um, but I think that's starting to shift. Um, so I think that is very interesting to me um, as that, that shift toward like accepting um, the more international way of doing things um, starts to happen. Um, and of course the startups, Uh, you know, the startup ecosystem is getting more and more funding as well. If you look at that chart, it's, it's, I think it's like seven X, seven or eight X since like, five, you know, five years ago or something like that. Um, so that combination of like still being relatively small, but starting to really grow and potentially take off to me is like a really positive sign. And something that definitely makes me very excited. And probably also have like knowledge about the tech industry or ecosystem in, in the US, for example. And do you think considering the Japanese tech industry and also its future that the ideal or final state um, of Japan's tech scene will ultimately be something super close to how things work in Silicon Valley, for example? Or do you think there will still be something unique about Japan's tech scene that will distinguish it from others? I think that's a really important question, actually. Um, one thing that does kind of excite me about Japan and the tech industry here is that now it has the example of Silicon Valley that it can kind of learn from, right? 
you know, when Silicon Valley was first, uh, you know, becoming the juggernaut that it now is, there was nothing to really point to and say, hey, look at this way of doing things, you know, and we could copy that. Now there kind of is. And Japan, in theory, could uh, look at that and say, okay, here's how things work there. Maybe there are some ways that we could improve on this, right? Um, and it's especially interesting to me because Japan has a history of doing this, actually. Um, if you look at when they had the economic boom back in like the 80s, you know, 70s, uh, that era, what essentially happened was they saw, you know, manufacturing happening in other places. Um, and they were like, hey, look, they had created this thing called the car uh, over in America or wherever it was. And um, maybe, like, I mean, this is cool. Maybe we can improve on this. And then they created, you know, so there was Ford or whatever already. And then they created Toyota, which completely, you know, um, revolutionized uh, the auto industry. And they created all these breakthroughs in manufacturing, which are like used to this day. But it was all about physical goods, right? And that enabled Japan to become the second uh, largest economy, like basically shot up the rankings in just a few decades um, and completely changed the whole economy. Um, so they have a history of this literally like miraculous economic growth. And to me, that is very interesting because it's like, okay, up until now, they've been more focused, again, on, well, they have that DNA of the hardware and the physical things. But what happens when they really do finally switch and say, okay, let's focus on software and the internet and all the new things that that has enabled. And we can look at Silicon Valley, see how they did things and maybe make some improvements. Um, so to me, I feel like Japan has yet to really embrace that. But once they do, I think that is really interesting and very exciting to me as well. Because um, I think Tokyo and Japan really have everything they need to be like a startup, um, you know, like one of the, the main startup hubs. Um, people want to live here. Um, everyone, I mean, not everyone, a lot of people are interested in living in Japan. Usually, like I said, the one, the one caveat is, I don't know about the work culture though. You know what I mean? So I feel like if we could just fix that and also fix that kind of image, um, which is one of the other things I'm trying to do with Japan Dev, um, I, I think it could have an enormous amount of potential. So that is one of the reasons that I am just so bullish on, you know, Tokyo and Japan in general, um, is I think it, it kind of has everything it needs. Um, it just, again, the company or the, the country just needs to embrace uh, that idea. Um, and by that idea, you mean like the embracing of software um, as kind of uh, a big driver? Yeah, exactly. Accepting that, yeah, back in the, you know, the 70s, 80s, whatever, um, it was like you created value by building things physically, you know, better and better, more efficiently. Now there's this thing called the internet and it, it unlocked a bunch of uh, new things, right? Where <clears throat> you can, uh, like there's the zero marginal cost of uh, reproduction, where if you build something once, you can then uh, copy it infinitely to a million people or a billion people all at once. Um, and, you know, it's instantaneous, uh, where if you want to change a product, you can do it instantly, right? Instead of having to like re-manufacture and, you know, change everything that you already built, right? So there are all these new kind of uh, business models and things that have come out of the internet. And I think that is why you see these massive companies, Google, Facebook, whatever, Amazon, um, they're embracing this. They're using the internet and Japan still doesn't have a com company like that. Right. Um, because they have not fully embraced that side of things. They're still kind of trying to do it the old, older way where kind of hardware is still kind of um, more respected. Right. But I think one day that will change. And we just need more and more examples of companies like Mercari. Um, you know, I think their exit was like, what, seven, eight billion dollars at the time um, that they went public. And that's tiny compared to someone like, you know, Facebook or whatever. But if if we could just continue that and have the next one be 70 or 80 billion, and then one that was like 700 billion, then I think things would change very quickly. And the economy would really start to embrace the kind of tech, uh, internet tech side of things. Um, so that is something that I really want to see happen. Um, and one of the reasons that I stay in Japan and think it's uh, still such an interesting place to be. 
And you're kind of assuming that this embrace for software will most likely come from the bottom up from like small companies that will eventually show to the industry that, hey, having software as your main product will be the ultimate enabler to accessing broader markets instead of um, like big companies that are already established that somehow find a way to switch to like a more software driven approach, right? I think it has to come from multiple uh, different directions. I do think the more startups, the better, because each one that, you know, every new startup that is uh, founded has some chance of being the next Mercari or the, the company that goes on to be the first uh, kind of Facebook level, you know, trillion dollar Japanese uh, startup. So the more of those, the better, the more kind of, um, you know, bites at the Apple that you can get, the better. But I think there are also some other interesting things happening, like with, for example, um, within big companies, sometimes there will be smaller basically like kind of departments that work as though they were startups. And they're kind of these hybrid companies, right? For example, Woven Planet um, is this very like modern, um, you know, technical department within Toyota that is basically doing self-driving uh, smart cities and all this super like cutting edge stuff. And the thing that I think is really interesting about that is it gives you obviously the ability to work as though you were at a startup you know, on small teams, um, you know, agile move, moving very quickly, but you're also backed by Toyota. So you have this massive corporation, you know, funding you. So you get that stability, which is especially really interesting, I think, to the Japanese developers. Um, you get that big name, name brand, literally Toyota, one of the largest, maybe the largest Japanese company there is. And yet you get the, the, the kind of... Uh, you know, you get the best of both worlds because you get to work on the startup type tech too. So I think those hybrid kinds of companies are really interesting as well. So I hope that I see more and more of those popping up too. So I think, yeah, whether it is like the independent startups or, you know, just areas of uh, larger companies that are, um, you know, genuinely like kind of autonomous enough that they can then focus on building things in the, again, just the more modern kind of Silicon Valley type way. Um, I think that will ultimately be the key nice um yeah and, uh, like maybe one anecdote to share from my side um i'm currently working as a ta at a coding boot camp and um one of the b2b customers of this co uh, coding boot camp um happens to be a big established Japanese company. And one thing I was very surprised to learn was that this big Japanese company has an interest to reskill their staff to be more software driven. So those are people who were traditionally maybe working in manufacturing or like kind of non-tech jobs. Uh, but this company has an interest to reskill or upskill um, their employer uh, employees to be a little bit more technical. Not everyone might end up being a software engineer, but at least like there seems to be a little bit more kind of money going towards the direction of like empowering employees to be more technical and embrace software more. Uh, so there's, I guess, like a slow movement also inside big companies to put some money um, into like, yeah, the, the digitalization movement, I guess. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, like digital transformation, uh, DX, has definitely been a buzzword lately, and I'm seeing more and more examples of that. You know, I'm hearing about kids learning programming back in, you know, like it, now in like elementary schools and stuff, whereas that was unheard of, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and I think it's changing little by little. Um, a lot of those kind of perceptions around, you know, software uh, being something that's to be outsourced and not really a, a profit center for the company and all that, that kind of uh, old school IT thinking is definitely uh, going away uh, slowly but surely <laughs> and being replaced with, you know, this idea that it can actually be uh, super valuable and something that uh, is worth doing. So I'm, like I said, I'm really excited. And that is one of the big things that I just want to, um, you know, share with people is like, I'm super bullish. I think one of the things I love about your podcast is you are too. And you're trying to, again, show like the positive side of the tech industry. And that doesn't mean that I want to ignore the fact that there are negatives too. It's just, uh, I hope that we can kind of have a nuanced discussion and say, yes, historically, this has been the case. There've been a lot of, uh, you know, black companies, sadly, that did have these incidents of like people working themselves literally to death and things like that, absolutely horrible things. But there's also this, this lighter side <laughs> and it's growing. And the way to make that grow more is to talk about it, showcase those companies, you know, those practices and, 
you know, that is what we, that's what I'm trying to do with Japan Dev, you know, and I think that's what you're doing also with this podcast, which I think is awesome and uh, why I kind of wanted to support you as well. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, And also specifically, thanks for sharing about your, uh, yeah, optimism about Japan's tech industry. Um, And yeah, before we wrap up this podcast, I just have like three last rapid fire questions that uh, I'm asking, um, yeah, um, all my uh, guests on the podcast. So the first question, what is one thing that Japan needs to blossom? Kind of already touched on this, but just this, I I think it's just the idea that um, you can... um, you know, start your own business and be successful. You don't need to be afraid. Um, you know, they say like in Japanese, like you may got like it, it exists. There's a way to make it work. And if you just work hard, then, uh, you know, it'll happen. So just that sense of optimism. Okay. Nice. Uh, second question. What is your favorite place in Japan? I would have to say Tokyo. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it with within this community, this uh, you know English speaking developer community that I am a part of, I think it's just where most of the stuff is actually happening, and I just feel really good about the community here and the fact that it is growing. So if you really want to like um, have an impact on Japan's tech industry, I still think this is the place to be. Um, you know, I, I think it's great that people are trying to uh, improve. The situation in other places too but this is still the center for now so this is also where i want to be cool and last question is what makes you happy <laughs> i guess uh building things <laughs> i don't know is that is that a lame lame answer just uh yeah bringing something into the world yeah that didn't used to exist <laughs> i feel like ultimately that's what i come back to and even if it is on the weekend or whatever like I, I want to build some stuff um make it work so that i think is what, what ultimately gives me happiness ideally some people will use it but even if not yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's good yeah thanks a lot eric for sharing uh, i would say that wraps up the episode i was uh, yeah very happy to hear about your optimism thanks for sharing um, about the progress with japan dev what you're doing with rocket chips and especially like um, for me to learn more about the future of Japan's tech industry. Yeah, wish you all the best with uh, all the projects that you're currently working on. Um, thanks a lot for joining the show and yeah, hope to talk to you next time. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, for doing this. Uh, like I said, I'm a big fan of the podcast and I really like what you're doing as well. So keep it up. Thanks for listening to this episode with Eric. I respect Eric's courage to not just start his life in a completely new country at such a young age, but also to go all in on his product as a first-time founder. I also like his approach on starting out JapanDev as a small side project, constantly iterating and then deciding to commit fully based on getting sufficient traction. To learn more about Eric's company, make sure to visit japan-dev.com. If you like this episode, please follow and rate it on whichever podcast platform you're listening from. And for feedback, please reach out to jvl.podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again and see you next time.